Good evening and welcome to the 2022 World Cup podcast. I am your host, Owen, alongside Josh. Josh is here with us tonight. He just stood up in front of the camera, people. He only has boxers on, so it should be a good show. Um, I'm just going to point out something real quick here. So I found an interesting stat today that showed in 2018, the average viewership for the round of 16 was 4.9 million in the U.S. 4.9, hold on, wait, 4.9 million Americans per round of 16 game. Correct. That was the average. What do you think was the tune-in for the round of 16 match against the Netherlands? In the United States? Mm-hmm. On Fox. Yep. Uh, 24 million. <clears throat> I wish that were the case. They topped or came just under 13 million. Huh. So not even 3x. I really honestly thought it would have been more. You would think because we weren't in the 2018 World Cup and we were in right. the round of 16 for 2022. Right. So I'm a little, a little disappointed by that. Yeah. A little, a little disappointed. But, well, you know. Our podcast hasn't gotten as big as we thought it would. We thought we would have, you know, bumped those numbers up a little bit. But Yeah. We're, we're, as far as growth is concerned, Fox Sports, they noted 163% increase. We've, we've outpaced Fox. I think that's the important thing. Oh, yeah. Should well, we, have noted, we are bigger than Fox from a growth perspective, percentage-wise. Yeah. Well, as a, as a great footballer once said, lions do not compare themselves to humans. Zlatan. Did you see Ronaldo's interview this past week? He, uh, he said in the interview, I don't chase records. Records chase me. And I said, no, I don't even care if you're Cristiano Ronaldo. Only Zlatan can say something like that. <laughs> Only Zlatan can say, I do not chase records. Records chase me. Yeah. He's the best. He is the best. I miss him at this World Cup. Um, Sweden, of course, not qualifying for this World Cup. And along with another Newcastle legend, Alexander Isak, him and the Zlatan could have been strike partners for this World Cup. Would have been epic. But it was not meant to be. No, not this time. All right, so we have a couple of debriefs from the round of 16 to go through here, Josh. As painful mm-hmm. as it may be, knowing that the U.S. lost, we didn't really get a chance to talk through Japan, Croatia, Brazil, South Korea. So those were the Monday games on the 5th uh, yep. this week. And Japan, Croatia, give me your thoughts on that one. It's a little bit of a heartbreaker. So I think we, what a I game. Think we, kind of gave chance, we gave Japan a chance there, didn't we? We did. And it was it was hard to watch. Like, if I think about the game Japan played and lost in the round of 16 versus the game the United States played and round in, lost in the round of 16, like, it's just not fair. Like, Japan played really well. And every single one of their crosses were like super dangerous balls. You thought, oh, there's like a good chance they score on every single one of them. I'm watching the United States play. We're trying to get crosses into the box and it's not making it past like the defender who's not even really that close to the near post. Like they're not even getting to the danger area. In Japan, like they were very threatening. And of course the game... uh, ended up going to PKs at the end. And, I mean, we can talk about that. Like, the the Croatian goal, goalie was a hero. Like, absolutely phenomenal saves in, in those. Um, you won't see probably a better... It was unreal. Yeah, like, very well done. Like, so I don't want to take anything away from Croatia. Croatia, they did well. But you hate to see a game where, like, Japan probably didn't deserve to lose. But a team has to lose, and that's... Uh, that's part of, you know, that's part of sport, and it was a little bit of a heartbreaker, like you said, but a fun game to watch. Well, well played all around. Yeah, so we kind of saw Croatia show up and really show out in their last two games after starting week, and they started to show their age a little bit in this game, I thought. You know, I mean, you can only expect Luka Modric to play 90 minutes so many times, but he played 110 in this one, and... Uh, was eventually subbed off. 
it, it is a heartbreaker for Japan. I think you know the penalties were were pretty pretty poorly taken, but there were also just really good saves. I mean, the, their keeper, uh, their Croatian keeper, guessed right every time. So it was a it was a tough game, okay. tough game. Wanted Japan to go through. I figured they had more of a chance than South Korea, which we'll talk about now. Uh, but yeah, a little bit of a heartbreak. So South Korea, of course, they just got demolished by Brazil, and that was the prediction that everybody had. Um, we gave them a chance up, for an upset. We, we, but... we did give them a chance for an upset. The Brazilian team is just, they, they were just too good. And, and, you know, they had their fair share of chances. You know, like there, there wasn't, this was a pretty wide open game. Brazil is not going to beat you by holding in and playing very sound and disciplined defense. But they also scored a lot in this game. And at the end, they were just scoring for fun. Um, you know, South Korea got a, kind of a, a late consolation goal. But Brazil was just scoring for fun in this game. And the individual talent really, really showed up in this one. Yeah, it's... um, I mean, the goals came minute 7, minute 13, minute 29, minute 36. Like, the game's over All pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. game's over pretty quick when that happens. Um. It wasn't like it wasn't like it was tight for the first half and then got out of hand. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're going to be tough to stop for sure. Yeah, they are going to be very very difficult to play against. And I, I, you know, we'll get into predictions later, but I just I don't I don't give Croatia a snowball's chance. Well, don't so. forget that Croatia has. The self-proclaimed greatest defender in the world in in Dejan Lovren. So uh, maybe <laughs> uh, yeah, Newcastle played Loris uh, Loris Carius today in a game. So yeah, you know, the best goalkeeper in the world. They hey. were part of the best defense Liverpool's ever put on the field. So at least Carius did self-proclaim best goalkeeper in the world. Um, That's true. He also tried to finish out a Champions League final while concussed. Super so, concussed. You know, more, more power to him. You've seen me get concussed. I did not finish the game. Yeah. Carius sure? finished the game. <laughs> yep. Ugh. Bad memories. Sorry to bring up those memories. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's on me. That's on me. All right. So this was the real shocker of the day or of the, of the round of 16. And this was the Tuesday game, December 6th. There were two of them played that day. But the first one, Morocco, Spain. This one was a blast. Mm -hmm. It was so fun to watch. And Morocco prevailing after a 0-0 draw, 120 minutes. Morocco coming out 3-0 on top of Spain in penalties. And I'm yep. just going to read some of these stats to you, Josh. You ready for this? Yes. <clears throat> Spain had 77% possession in this game. We talked about it in the first game when they beat Costa Rica. They were the only team to have broken a thousand passes. They were the only team to have done it multiple times and at all in this tournament. They broke a thousand passes in this game. Thousand nineteen mm -hmm. passes. Ninety percent pass accuracy. Thirteen shots. Only one on target. So hmm. we talked about this early in the tournament. They were screaming for a number nine. That was the glaring weakness that Spain had. They had all the ball control and passing in the world. Alvaro Morata is not good enough. I don't think to be playing alongside a lot of these other players and it showed up big time. They could not finish. They could not finish. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so quick shout out though, to Sofyan Amrabat. Am 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 if you're listening Sofyan to Sofyan Amrabat. No idea. I had never seen this guy play before. He plays in Italy for Fiorentina. I had seen him play, I guess, a little bit for Morocco. He showed up in this game and absolutely nullified probably the best midfield three at this tournament. It was an unbelievable individual display by him. I mean, you had the big guys like Hakimi and Ziyech for Morocco show up in big ways as mm -hmm. well. But mm -hmm. this guy at the end of the game, uh, I, like I, I don't think it's an exaggeration that people like Graham Potter and Jurgen Klopp and Eric Ten Hag were actually on the phone trying to get this guy to come to their teams. He was exceptional in this game. Yeah. He was yeah. absolutely exceptional. Yeah, and if you love an underdog 
tale. Um, Morocco defeating Spain is uh, about as good as you can get in world football. About as good as you can get. It was yep. huge. Yeah, I think we All can't... Right, so... uh, hold on. I think we can't let this go on without commenting on how bad Spain's penalties were. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Have you... All right, if, if you don't know anything about soccer, uh, imagine if a player is handed the ball and said, you know, if you make this layup, you uh, win the game. Well, <laughs> we're, we're playing, uh, we're basically playing, um, we're basically playing knockout or whatever the game is uh, with, with layups. No, it's penalties. You kick it from 12 yards out, right? Just you and the goalie and Spain step up and first guy kicks it and it bounces off the post and the next guy kicks it and it's so often the goalie goes the right way and just easy save. And the next guy from Spain comes up and kicks it, and it's so soft. And the goalie goes the correct way again. Easy save. And the next guy comes up and kicks it, and it's so soft. And the goalie goes the right way, and it's an easy save. And that's the game. Like, walk up there and kick the ball as hard as you can. You're 12 feet away. You're a professional. Kick the Jesus out of it. Yeah. Well, and evidently, Lewis, this is the big thing. The commentators talked about this in the lead up to, oh, Spain's going to love this going to, well, you could see Enrique was was angry and was frustrated because Spain had probably about five chances to put the game away in the last five minutes, and they didn't do it. But then there was all this talk because Luis Enrique, who's Spain's head coach, I guess at this point Spain's, Spain's former head coach, had talked a bunch about how he had all of his players take penalties before the hmm. World Cup over and over again. So I asked all of them to take at least a thousand each before this tournament so that we would be good on penalty kicks. Yeah. That doesn't work, evidently. Or well, they didn't I mean, do their homework. I have no idea. Like, as as a coach, absolutely. I mean, it maybe doesn't get a ton of attention because it's, like, if you're not taking them for your team, like, it's pretty rare that you're actually in a match setting taking a penalty kick. Um, like none of the leagues are going into penalties. Maybe if you are, maybe if you're in one of the cup like tournaments um, that have knockout stuff, but very rarely are you doing actual like game on the line, um, have to deal with the pressure, those scenarios for penalty kicks, other than maybe one person per, per team who's like the designated penalty kick taker. On the other hand, like, like I said, it's like a layup. Like you should be able to. Everyone should be able to step up and know, like I can score this penalty. I will score it. Um, you know, ninety nine out of one hundred times. Um, and and the fact that you're going into a tournament where if you get through the group stages and there's, I mean, soccer. What what percentage of of soccer games end in a draw? Then you're gonna go to penalties. Like it's much higher than it's much higher than you know, the football, like, we get one draw every few seasons um, in the NFL or whatever. Like, it, they're they're fairly common to, to end a game um, even on goal. So it's not like it's not like an unreasonable request to have everyone, like, be solid on their penalties. And they were not. It was, and again, like, oh, they, were, they were bad. Yeah. I don't know. They were just bad. Going, but... I think, uh, you know, this is actually, I've got a really interesting story about this. So when I was, I guess I, mean, I was high school, but it was the year that I was back from Africa. And so I was playing at a U.S. high school on the varsity team. I think it was my ninth grade year. And we were not a terribly good team. I think uh, most of the time, the only hope that we had of winning was that, uh, was that I scored like four goals in a game. So I, I broke conference records and school records for goal scoring. And just for all the listeners out there who've never seen me play, I play fullback. That's my main position. But the U.S. high schools were god-awful. So um, we ended up going into this, to the kind of playoff tournament as the sixth seed or the eighth seed. It was eight teams. We were the eighth seed. And our coach said, all right, we're going to do – everyone's going to do 50 penalties a day at practice. Because we're probably not going to win these games, but if we do, it's going to be after extra time, and it's probably going to be penalty kicks. Three games. All three went to penalties. Whoa. 
We won all of them. Whoa. Because we bagged all of our penalties. So there's something to that. I mean, once it becomes muscle memory, mm-hmm. you can you can do it effectively. These players were not prepared for it because they thought they were going to play everybody off the pitch. And so in some respect, you've got young players, the pressure's getting to them. But those aren't the players who took the penalties. I mean, you didn't have Pedri missing penalty. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it was some of the more senior squad members that have either been to tournaments or have been to the Euros and, you know, take penalties on a semi-regular basis, including, uh, I can't even remember the final sub that they made. Uh, let's see here. It's going to... So they brought on for Olmo. Who did they bring on? Uh, Sarabia. So they bought on. They brought on Paulo Sarabia, who is a 30-year-old, plays for PSG, and is supposedly a penalty specialist. They mm-hmm. brought him on for the sake of taking penalties, and he's yeah. the one that dinked it off the post. Yeah, I bet. I I'm gonna put it down to it's a mental thing and you know if he's the guy he's the guy who's come on he's the specialist and then he the post everyone after him watches that and then the second guy it's saved and you're down you're down you're like your team's down there's a ton of pressure i mean we said they're experienced people but maybe that's like compounding it like this tournament's once every four years this might be my last world cup um there's sure. this pressure like i'm I mean, I am not that good at soccer, but I um, would get into a few penalty shooting situations in like intramurals in college or whatever. And I was pretty confident I was going to, you know, make my penalties. Uh, And we went to this one playoff game and went to penalties. I made my first one. We went through the entire everyone on the field. And we're still like tied and we keep going. So I get around to my second shot. I'm like, okay, like I can just do the same thing I did the first time. And I kick it and it like launches over the crossbar. Like I tried to like, I'm like intentionally trying to like just place this low. This is intramural soccer. The person like the goalie on the other side is not like a a good goalie. He's going to dive and get down to a low shot. And I launch it and it's 100% just um just a mental thing and i it's because i'm watching i'm watching however many penalties missed in like before that and and you know it's the second time around and whatever i don't i don't know i it's yeah so there's i mean there's some of those stats that go into the team that goes first usually wins right i mean there's you win more of the time if you shoot first and I, I mean, I'll say, so my junior and senior year in high school, we, we went to, in the semifinals for those playoff tournaments, we went to, and this was in a more competitive league because I was back in Africa, but we went to penalties in both those games. And on both those teams, because I had taken so many freaking penalties, I, I ended up being either fourth or fifth. I think my junior year, I was fourth in the order and senior, I was fifth in the order. And I skied both those because we had already missed two and you get it in your head and you send it to the moon because you're like, everything, everything rests on me making this. It's different when you're walking up to the spot and saying, all right, I got to make this. But if you walk up to the spot and you say, if I miss this, we lose. It's an emphatic thing. uh, Then it does get more in your head. So I, I remember putting both those on the freaking moon. So yeah, it's, it is a tough thing. So I, I do, I feel for them. Uh, I I'm ecstatic that Morocco's in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we've had an African team in the in the quarterfinals for some time, uh, and so it's it's fun to see them out there. And they're actually one of the bidders for the next World Cup, so um, it, it it's fun to see them do well. Yeah. Uh, the final game on uh, on the sixth on Tuesday of this past week, the, the final round of sixteen game was Portugal Switzerland. Josh, you and I both liked Switzerland in this game. <laughs> We sure did. How, how do you feel about that now? Hey, uh, I said that I feel good about watching Jaka lose uh, any day of the week, and he lost yeah. pretty hard. Lost pretty did, hard to Portugal. I, I texted Josh right before this game and said, hey, look, they benched Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. And then my next text was, I like Switzerland in this game. 
And <laughs> what I didn't realize at the time is that those two things, you can't, they can't be together. They're not, uh, they're not complementary statements. So Cristiano Ronaldo being on the bench ended up being the catalyst in this game because the yep. guy that replaced him is 21 year old Gonzalo Ramos. And he ended up scoring three goals in this game, scored a hat trick for himself. And he looked so much more energetic. Portugal looked like they were breaking and not just always trying to pass through Ronaldo every time. And everybody was more dangerous as a result of it. So I can't see Ronaldo starting another game in this tournament. They'd be foolish to put him back in as a starter. Yeah, it'd have to be injury-driven or something. Like, 100%. Um, They look dangerous. Oh, man. Yeah. They looked a lot better. Now I've I've now I've read after the fact that Switzerland evidently had uh, I guess some flu or stomach bug or something going through their camp and that a lot of the players were sort of gassed at halftime. Um, I I get it I guess they were still down two zero at halftime so you know I, whatever it was a, it was a rough game for the, for Switzerland here. And usually they're so disciplined and play very well defensively, and they just they didn't in this game. It was rough. It was yeah. pretty rough. Lots of goals. Yep. Not even uh, not even Shakiri's calves could keep him in this World Cup. Oh my gosh! If you guys didn't watch any of this game, there's a little man that plays for Switzerland, and I've read some funny articles up until he went to Liverpool and actually won a trophy again. That Jordan Shakiri's career in reverse looks like a really successful career so he you know he comes out of youth youth soccer goes to Bayern Munich wins the Bundesliga wins the Champions League and then he goes to Italy and has success there then he goes to Stoke City in the Premier League it's like what what (laughs) so if you look at it in reverse it made a ton of sense, but then he ended up at Liverpool and won more medals that way. But um, <clears throat> yeah, he's a tiny little man. Uh, he's got to be five one in heels, but he just looks like a, a block of muscle running around, mm-hmm. and his calves are incredibly well defined. He had he had some good games. He looked he he was he was probably the only one besides a bull that was dangerous for the Swiss in this game. Yeah. The Swiss had some chances they didn't put him away, uh, but yeah, it was it was disappointment for them all around. Yeah, I want to say Shakiri is one of maybe only three or four players to have scored in the last three World Cups. So 14, 18, Cristiano and 22. And... Messi and yeah, Shakiri, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe one other. But probably, anyway. Probably, probably in there. Interesting. Cool. Well, I, so I'm going to just kind of recap one more thing on this, uh, on this round of 16. It's going to be my last real opportunity in this coverage to talk about the U.S. men's team because we were in that round of 16. So a little bit of a bombshell. Uh, Louis Van Hall afterwards was interviewed. Uh, He's the head coach for the Netherlands. And he said some pretty damning things about Greg Berhalter and the U.S. team. Uh, he, He said that they watched the film and knew that they could have success attacking down the flanks. And so that's what they came out and tried to do. And his actual quote was, the U.S. men's team didn't adapt. They didn't adjust. We made our tactical plan based on targeting the flanks. They could not adjust. So, yeah. That's a hard one to swallow because we saw that watching the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, both goals were identical for the Dutch. Yep. I mean, they were attacking. They were attacking Anthony Robinson because he was seen as a defensive liability. And Louis Van Hall, who's one of the most decorated and successful international coaches, specifically uh, in, in of the last thirty years, came out and basically just said, "Greg Berhalter, I outcoached you. Congratulations." And being outcoached by Louis Van Hall is not, is not in and of itself a bad thing, but it has kind of been the theme of this team. Like we've seen Greg Berhalter puts his team out there, and that's how they're going to play that game. 
and there just isn't the in-game adjustments that you want to see. And so I was doing some digging on just Burhalter in general and kind of how the heck did this guy get this job? Uh, and here's what I found out, Josh. I found out that uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation basically took notes from FIFA. And there was a lot of, you know, collusion between MLS and marketing agencies and the U.S. Soccer Federation. But ultimately what it boiled down to is once there was a gap left by uh, the dismissal of Jurgen Klinsmann, there was one person in charge of, of appointing the technical director for the U.S. Soccer Federation. And the person in charge of that, do you want to guess who it was? No. You're not going to know. His name's Jay Burhalter. Any idea who he might be related to? Uh, Jay-Z? Jay-Z. That's a good guess. He's actually related to Greg Burhalter, who's oh. the head coach of the men's national team. So the guy who's in charge of appointing the technical director for the U.S. men's or the U.S. Soccer Federation is Jay Burhalter. The technical director is the person that's in charge of selecting the coach for the U.S. men's national team. Hmm. So do you think maybe there had been a conversation where he said, hey, I'll give you this job if you hire my bro? Oh, by the way. The guy that I'm appointing is also one of your best friends from the time that you were playing with the U.S. men's national team. Oh, and hmm. by the way, you're making 135000 a year coaching an MLS team right now. You have no other good coaching experience, and we're going to pay you $1.3 million to coach the U.S. men's national team. Hmm. Yeah, interesting so, coincidences. Some nepotism there. Yeah, nepotism and uh, and underqualification. In the aftermath of that, of course, you know all the FIFA stuff happened shortly after that, and the the whole marketing MLS U.S. Soccer Federation being in bed was sort of forced to break up, and the one survivor is the technical director of U.S. Soccer Federation. But the the part that's hard for me to digest here is that Jay Burhalter, the technical director for the U.S. Soccer Federation, I'm going to find his name right now. And it, it, so both of them were asked after the fact, you know, how did you come to this decision to to hire Greg Burhalter? And they said, well, you know, we've we've done extensive research and interviews and yada yada yada. And you know, they they said, and Greg Burhalter was the best person for it. So people said, naturally, naturally. So who else did you, uh, who else did you interview? And they said, oh, um, well, and they dropped some names. And those people were asked, and uh, none of those people were interviewed. Oh, geez. So they dropped names of several different coaches. People like Bielsa, who just was let go from Leeds, who would have been an exceptional coach for the U.S. teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they weren't actually uh, interviewed at all. So I'm hoping that the some of the reports I'm reading are not in fact true that Burhalter is about to begin negotiations about extending his contract uh, through the next World Cup, because that would be that would be terrible. It'd be absolutely terrible. Some of the uh, so I, in more reading I found out Jurgen Klinsmann actually was told as part of this agreement between the three organizations of marketing soccer federation MLS that he was required he had a quota of mls players that he had to include in the in the in the national team good grief and not only a quota but he had to include one player minimum from five of the big market teams new york la dallas chicago and miami had to include one player from each of the big market teams what it's ridiculous. And so if any of that kind of stuff, even if it wasn't explicitly stated, was still sort of an under the table understanding with Greg Berhalter, why is Jordan Morris in this team? He came on in the final minutes against the Netherlands, looks completely lost. The guy they're saying, oh, he was such a success at Stanford. I'm very sorry, but Stanford collegiate soccer is very far away from World Cup international tournament soccer. The kid shouldn't, shouldn't have seen the field. If you look at his international record, he's got like 18 caps. He has zero goals, zero assists, and one yellow card. 
So go home. You're a center forward and you can't score. I hope, I hope that it continues to be exposed one and ironed out because it mm -hmm. could be very detrimental going forward. We're going to have a lot of focus on the sport come 2026 and it better not be tarnished by more BS from Greg Berhalter and co. Any thoughts there, Josh? Yeah, I mean, sounds like house needs to be cleaned up a little bit. And uh, I don't I don't understand the politics of of it. I mean, I know I certainly know the results are are damaged because of that kind of stuff, but I'm not going to claim to be any kind of expert. So, yeah. Hoof. Uh, Hoof, hoof, hoof. It's not great. Mm -mm. So I'm hoping now, honestly, that we go with a non-U.S. coach. I would love to see somebody like a Bielsa come in. Evidently, the name that's been linked a lot in the last 24 hours, who, as an individual person, I really can't stand, but is a very successful coach. And I don't believe has ever coached at the international level. Any idea who I'm talking about, Josh? He's currently uh, is currently employed in Italy. Uh, he has coached Porto. Don't say it. Man United. Don't say it. Tottenham. Oh jeez. Chelsea. Oh man. Are we talking about Josie? We're talking about Jose. <laughs> Boy, I hate that guy. So Jose Mourinho. Yeah, can't stand him, but he's a very good coach. And yeah. the formations that he plays are formations that are set up to win, especially in international tournaments. Yeah, he he can get results. I mean, obviously, obviously even some of his someone of his caliber can't produce it like a club like Man United. But anywhere else he goes, he can go and like Generate a few years of success before the wheels fall off and, and things get off. So my my favorite Jose Mourinho quote, and I, I honestly, it's terrible. I have a soft spot for Jose Mourinho. So those of you that don't know who we're talking about, Jose Mourinho is a coach that's made the rounds. He really made history by leading Porto, who's a, a Portuguese club. Uh, and, and Portuguese Premier League is is this, the tier below kind of the major leagues of Europe. So you've got uh, the Premier League, La Liga in Spain, and then you have Serie A in Italy and the Bundesliga in Germany. Those are sort of tier one. And then the tier below that is probably in recent years anyway, League One. I would say they're probably by them. That's France. They're probably by themselves in that next tier. And then the step below that is probably the Belgian League. Uh, Netherlands. The, the Dutch League. Yep. yep. And the Portuguese League. And so for a team like Porto or Benfica is really the kind of the, the modern day comparison as a really successful Portuguese club. He took Porto all the way to the Champions League final and won as a young coach. And then he went on to go to Chelsea and, and have a ton of success there, winning multiple league titles and uh, cups. He has, in recent years after being the coach of Manchester United, <clears throat> said that the greatest achievement of his coaching career was taking the dumpster fire that was Manchester United to a second place finish in the league. Yeah, he didn't say dumpster fire. He just said I my greatest. He just said my greatest achievement was taking Manchester United to second place. <laughs> yeah, to second place. This oh, is a man, man who's won multiple leagues, Champions Leagues, domestic cups. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of shade thrown. He's honestly, I don't know that I could take him for uh, for four years. But he's kind of the guy where, like, we want somebody to come in and coach and get us qualified and then hire him right before a tournament. Because it would be, it would be like, Trump-level material as far as, like, bulletin board stuff and just quotable, meme type press conferences. Uh-huh. And he would probably get results, too. Yep. be pretty great. So, anyway. We'll see what unfolds. If it's Greg Berhalter, uh, then... I will see you whenever he's fired. That is all.
All right, so quick look at the quarterfinals, which start tomorrow. The first two games being Croatia versus Brazil at 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern. And then the Netherlands-Argentina at 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. So let's start with Croatia-Brazil. Oh, Brazil. Who do you I mean, like in this game, Josh? Good grief, yeah, Brazil. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, at this point, the momentum they have behind them. They've had... They've they've had the talent since the beginning. That's why they just slotted for favorites. Uh, I don't see how you can. I mean, yeah, I don't see Croatia coming even close. Uh, I think it's I think it's probably going to be similar to the, this last game. Like Brazil gets some early goals, the game kind of runs away. Uh, I don't even think it'll be that close. So that's my my pick is Brazil by several goals. Yes, I think uh, I think Brazil will probably run away with this one too. They should. They really should. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's maybe a little bit of an opportunity for Croatia to frustrate them. Uh, you know, Croatia's midfield is their strong point, and if Perisic has the game of his life, mm-hmm. we could maybe be looking at an upset here. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but he's going to have to wind the clock back about five years uh, to be like prime Inter Milan, Perisic. Um, He'd probably have to pair that with uh, another outstanding performance from their goalie. I mean, yes. outstanding in the last game was during PKs. I don't know necessarily the game itself where there were any phenomenal saves. I think he'd have to, you know, for 90 minutes, possibly more, make some, some pretty outstanding stops. Um, uh, and pairing that, like you're saying, with some outfield players having games of their lives. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a long shot. I think it's Brazil. Yeah, I think it is too. And I, my, my guess for this game would probably be three, one Brazil. Again, Brazil's back line is not terribly disciplined, so I could see them conceding one. I just, I think they're going to put up at least three here. That's that's kind of my thought on it. I don't know what your score line is for that one. Uh, I'll give him a four one four one Brazil. Okay, I don't mind that. All right, Netherlands Argentina. Who you like in that one? Ooh, more closely matched for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow my heart with this one a little bit and go with Argentina. Um, I mean, my heart's not far from the Netherlands, I guess, but. Yeah, I'd like to see Argentina do well. I mean, I think it'll be tight. I think I'm going to say... I think I'm going to say... 2-1. I think there's going to be... 2-1 to Argentina. Yeah, I think there's going to be at least one like special goal during this game as well. We'll see. But I've got a feeling um, it's gonna, there's going to be a moment of magic. All right. Uh, I like the Dutch in this one. The Dutch were my dark horse pick at the beginning of the tournament, and uh, after the display they had against the U.S., I think they are the better team. Uh, I think that they are more gifted in pretty much every area of the field except for wherever Messi decides to run to, and so I think they should win this game. I think it would be a disappointment if they don't. They're a more talented team. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that. So... Argentina's played a couple of games way too close. I mean, that Poland game almost got away from them late. The Australia game, obviously, that probably should have gotten away from them. Um, You know, they played Mexico. Mexico just gave them a ton of respect, and they lost to Saudi Arabia. So uh, Argentina has only gotten here through moments of individual brilliance. And that runs out against teams that are as technically gifted as the Netherlands is. So I think the Netherlands beat Argentina 3-1 here. All right. Valid valid points. We shall see. Uh, Morocco, Portugal. Ooh, looking ahead. Tell me what your heart says, <clears throat> and tell me what your mind says. I think that... I think that my heart and my, line, my mind are a little aligned here. Um, I think Portugal, and I think they do really well. I mean, I'd love to see... Um, I'd love to see Jota get out there and play for Portugal. I don't even, 
I don't even know if he's at he's this tournament. He's not even here, is he? <laughs> I don't even know if he's, he's at this tournament. Noticed. I think he's injured. I don't think he came. Yeah, um, well, maybe that's why I haven't seen him. Um, yeah, he I certainly mean, hasn't played at this point if he is there. The uh, Morocco's performance against uh, Spain was pretty special. I think that. I think that that uh, I don't think that carries them through the quarterfinals though against the team, especially after the display Portugal put up. Um, I think Portugal's figuring some stuff out with uh, with how they rotated that Cristiano Ronaldo sub. Um, yeah, I I'll say three zero. Three zero for Portugal. So. I'm going to agree with you on every point. I think Portugal win 2-0 in this one, unless Ronaldo starts. If Ronaldo starts, I think that Morocco win 1-0. All right. That's how much of a handicap I think he is. So I'd love to see Morocco keep going. They played an absolutely inspired game against Spain, who I think is better than Portugal. Mm-hmm. Spain, Spain should have beaten them. But Spain is better than Portugal, and... I would love to see them win here. If Ronaldo starts, I think Morocco wins this game. England, France. This is truly the big, big, big one. Yeah. In this, probably in my mind anyway, the most evenly matched round or evenly matched game of this round. So, who do you like in this one? I like France. Um, yeah, I'll say I like France as far as the players, how they look like. I like the the individual players how they lining how they're lining up against the England individual players overall. I just like the France team more, and as far as talent and and that aspect of it as well, I think France is superior. So um, yeah, I'll say I'll say we'll see some goals here, three one. good scoreline mm-hmm. it's a good scoreline so you like france 3-1 in this game i so I, I will say this is an interesting anecdote that i that i or anecdote that i uh an antidote is different than an anecdote uh so interesting anecdote i watched a game today i, I guess i more listened to it as kind of a shoddy stream of a friendly game that was just a winter break friendly game of newcastle who's my favorite club team and Al Hilal, which is a Saudi Arabian team, they are the they've won the Saudi Premier League uh, last few years. They were so, the Champions League winners for the Champions League of Asia. So, a reason Newcastle went out to like the Saudi Arabia area? Yeah, because they're owned by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, richest oh. team in the world. Uh, so they're out there playing this kind of winter break friendly for their non-international players. So Newcastle has several players in the England squad. Uh, we have Fabian Charges come home from Switzerland. But it, obviously Bruno Gimenez still playing for Brazil. So, you know, we still have a lot of our starters at this tournament or coming home from this tournament right now. We fielded a very weakened squad against this Al-Hilal squad. The interesting thing about this team that we played today, though, Josh, of Saudi Arabia's 11 starters that beat Argentina, how many of those players do you think played for Al-Hilal? Nine. Good guess. Nine players <laughs> in that starting 11 for Saudi Arabia. Let's go. So all of those players were back home and available because it's like a three-hour bus ride from yeah. Doha to Riyadh. Probably not three. It's probably like eight, but still, it's a bus ride. If there was a road, they so those players are all back. All available. And this to me is an interesting contrast because Saudi Arabia was not a pushover in this tournament, but it shows the level of organized practice with these people all day, every day for the entire year versus international play. Newcastle's weakened squad with 18 year olds and academy products running around out there rinsed these guys 5 0. Wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. So to that point, England, France. I just, I've come to believe very firmly in watching this World Cup and then kind of seeing some of those little, little pieces of kind of, or just little, uh, little observations, we'll call them, uh, that these tournaments are all about either exceptional formation and tactics 
by a mind-bending manager like a Louis Van Hal. The guy knows how to play international tournaments. Or they are about individual brilliance. Mm-hmm. They're about a player owning a game and carrying their team. So with that said, Kylian Mbappe has done that since the first whistle blew in this in this tournament. And I think he continues to do it. And I think France beat England here. I think it's going to be 2-0. Because I just don't think that uh, the way that England play is not going to break the French back line down. Uh, they just, they're going to start Mason Mount, who I don't even know why he's in the England squad. I don't like the guy. I don't think he's very good. They're going to start Saka mm-hmm. on the other side. Thankfully, Raheem Sterling won't start because he's back home in England. Did he come uh, back? Or did he? Yeah. I'm, I hope that everyone's okay. I don't think okay he's back with... in time to play for this. I hope everyone's okay. His yeah. home was broken into. Evidently, his family was there. Traumatic things. So Raheem Sterling went home. He's not a terribly creative player, so he won't start in this game. If he did, you'd have a front line of Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Mason Mount, which is what they've trotted out a couple of times. I think in this one, you probably see Phil Foden, Saka, but the way that they've been playing is they require Harry Kane. I've, I've watched Harry Kane pick the ball up 20 yards into his own half. Yeah. The man's a center forward. Yep. And if you're requiring him to, to trot all the way back – to make up for some of the other deficiencies or other people that cannot see the passes he can see and execute the passes he can see, it, it just it's going to create problems for you. And Harry Kane, as an individual, has not taken over games in the same way that Mbappe has. And so yeah. I think that's going to be the difference maker here. <clears throat> yeah, and like you're saying, a, he definitely hasn't had the freedom to do it. Um, Mbappe's been surrounded by players that are doing their job and giving him the license to to be creative and do what he does best. And Harry uh, Harry Kane, absolutely not. Like you said, he's having to he's having to pull weight for others and and carry other players, and that uh that holds him back to, from uh from doing what he does best, and that's uh, score goals. Yeah, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big England fan, and uh, he he carries a U.S. passport, but has been cheering against the United States, whatever. Um, and I told him, I think that the only way England win this game is if they come out on a four, four, two, because I think you, you have to put again, as a Newcastle homer, this isn't about Callum Wilson. I think that you need a four, four, two, because it creates a strike partnership for Harry Kane. It doesn't put all of the weight on his shoulders to create. You can drop Saka can play a left. He's played left wing back, and so he can play left side of midfield. Mason Mount, who can't do anything going forward, you might as well just put him on the left side of midfield. And then you can have two solid central midfielders, whether that's Henderson and Bellingham or or, or Rice and Bellingham, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I just I think that having the strike partnership would allow Harry Kane a little bit more license to to score. And so if England come out in their four three three, which they will, because Gareth Southgate is gonna bash his head against the same wall over and over again and, and, and hope that it works. Uh, I, I just, I can't see them win this game. Yep. Can't see it. All right. So we will touch base after these rounds or after this round of games to see how terribly wrong we were with our predictions. Mm-hmm. But for the record, Josh and I have Brazil or I have, I'll say what I have. I have Brazil the Netherlands, Portugal, unless Ronaldo starts, and France going through. Mm-hmm. And I have. I think the only. The I have only the same have except for Argentina think. instead of the Netherlands. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I'm uh, I'm sure he's listening. I'd really uh love to see our good analyst friend Zach come watch uh, some of these games with me this weekend. So, uh, invite still out there if you want to drive over. Short, short little drive to my house. Short drive. We'll at least have him on to to recap this round with us and go through some of the uh, some of the numbers, some of the statistics. Yeah, talk to us about what happens when we get to the semifinals of the World Cup. Well, I want to know the statistics of how many people that win quarterfinal games go on to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. What's the percentage of teams that win their quarterfinal game that make it into the semifinals? Yeah, my guess is and then, and then 
<clears throat> if he can go even further and say how many teams that win their quarterfinal games make it to the finals, I, that's kind of the, the numbers that I'd really like to dive into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's tough, though, because if you give him that kind of assignment, he might not be able to make it to me. He'll be doing all his research. If that's too complicated, what we're asking, no no worries. Just you know, scrap that and just come watch the game with me. Okay, fair enough. So I'm hoping, I guess, for a uh, dual podcast, both of you in the same room. Oh, man. Recording with me on Saturday evening. Is that the... Is that well, what I mean, if he's here, I think you have to. You have to. Absolutely, yeah. you have to. Okay. Well, that's going to play us out for tonight. Man, a lot to catch up on. Mostly how terrible Spain is at taking penalty kicks and mm-hmm. how much of uh, the U.S. head coach hiring was nepotism. So I'm glad we covered the big stuff, the heavy-hitting. The heavy-hitting journalism that is taking place on here is just... It's special. It's special. Oh, yeah. And don't forget Cristiano looking good on the sidelines. Yes. And it is – the guys like Tom Brady in that he doesn't really age. Mm -hmm. So you put 21-year-old Gonzalo Ramos next to him, and the the guy looks older than Cristiano Ronaldo, who's 37. Yeah. I mean, he does have like a full-on man beard at 21, but he looks older. Yeah, than, than Ronaldo, so it is it is fun. I think when I I mean I can't tell how old Cristiano Ronaldo looks because every time I I look I just see like that neck and Adam's apple and it's just like so big. <laughs> it's so big, it's massive. Yeah, it's absolutely massive. Even even when he's in underwear commercials, that's all I can look at is the Adam's apple. Yeah, it's a uh... all right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Again, this is the 2022 World Cup podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it is at WC2022podcast. Uh, we have some shirt orders that have come in. Excited about those. So uh, if anybody wants some gear from the podcast, uh, all the information is on our Twitter page. And this episode is sponsored by Homekeeper, simplifying home maintenance for busy homeowners. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you on another time. Cheers, everybody.